0: After I close on my Shark Tank businesses, my favorite part is about six to nine months out. After they've had the success of Shark Tank, the sales are going through the roof, they're popular, everybody loves them. Something inevitably big always goes wrong. I can't mm-hmm. wait to see the go wrong period. Like the supplier never sent the sweatshirts, or the the it was a faulty manufacturing, or whatever goes wrong, something goes wrong. And I just say, what what happened? And I don't say a word, I just listen, because you know what I'm listening for? I'm listening to the entrepreneur, how they handle it, because it's my harbinger of what I bought into. It's right there, right in front of me. Mm. And you know what, most people, I would say three out of four of entrepreneurs that I've chosen very carefully, will blame it on somebody else. He promised me, I swear to God, that guy, the minute that Mm. finger goes left or right, I know I'm gonna lose my money. Get ready for brilliant people brilliant ideas and a regular good time. This is brilliant thoughts with success people editor, Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities relationships and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada.
1: I'm going to bet that there's a good chance you watched shark tank or at least maybe half an episode or you've heard of it. Well, You're probably familiar with my next guest, Barbara Corcoran. She's been a judge there for 12 seasons now, which I didn't even know, but that's awesome. She also has her own podcast called Business Unusual. You can call in and ask any questions and she answers them. It's a really good setting. Now, I enjoyed talking to Barbara. You're going to love the conversation we had. She's just so fun to talk to, so knowledgeable, And she's done a lot of good stuff. So tune in on this one. It's one of my favorites. Welcome back to Brilliant Thoughts, a success podcast. And today I have none other than Barbara Corcoran. Everybody knows her. I mean, I'm in real estate, so of course I know her. She's absolutely amazing. Always smiling and makes you laugh, think, think. And this one, we're going to dig into her thoughts. So, Barbara, welcome to the show. My pleasure, Tristan. Really nice to be here. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. I love your background. For those of you that don't see the background, there, there's two shades here. We've got red, and then we've got bookcases on the on the left of her. Really nice. So, the very first thing I want to say is you've got a great podcast of your own. I was checking it out. Business Unusual. I listened to a few of them this week. I'm, I'm impressed. I love it. What's the idea behind that?
0: Well, my true love is answering questions. I love when people call in my 1-800-888-BARBER not 1-800, number and they leave lots of questions for me all through the week. So I just like trying to take the questions that are more complicated where people are stuck and I try to give the best advice I possibly can. That's my favorite part. I also interview a lot of interesting people, but between you and I, I like the real folks calling with the questions the best.
1: I think that's where we learn more anyway, right? It makes, Absolutely. It makes a lot more sense. I love that. Well, let's, let's get started with one question I had for you. And this one is one that I thought of after Barbara. I'm like, you know, you probably get all of the same questions. You do this a lot. And I'll, I want to know, as I was listening to this, I'm like, are there any anything you look back in your life and you're like, damn, I, I wish I would have done that. Any regrets that you're like, I, I wish what would have happened if I went that route instead? Anything like that?
0: Well, I actually feel like every left or right-hand turn I took was meant to be. I guess you justify that when you look back, and it all turned out okay. Uh, but I think as a as a young uh, a teenager, young 20-something, um, I think I would have somehow gotten, gotten around people who would have influenced me more to think maybe I had something to give. You know, I just was in a certain situation where – I didn't get a lot of positive feedback, not that I was looking for it. You don't know how much you need it when you're young. You're still forming who you want to be, right? But I I wish I had learned to speak up and ask for help. I was very much uh, the type of personality that was self-sufficient and thought it was shameful to ask for help. I've learned as Mm an older adult now to always ask for help on anything, and it makes people feel like a million bucks when you ask them for help because everybody really wants to help you. It's natural to want to extend a hand and feel important by helping someone. So now I'm a good asker, but I wish I had asked earlier. That's all. That's all I could come up with. <laughs>
1: that was That's really good, though, because I would assume that in asking for help, you develop these relationships even deeper, right? Yes, you do. You do. Is that? That's so It's the beginning of a
0: good relationship.
1: You're right. So what, what shifted that started asking you for more help eventually? Is, was there anything in your life that's like, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I'm just going to ask for help.
0: Um, I think I started asking for help when I got scared when I had to start my own business. I had a business partner who, of course, most people know the story, left me to marry my secretary. And so I was left high and dry. Uh, But I think I got so scared to the core uh, because I had never been left before. I had a broken heart. And after all, he found me, and he taught me what to do, and he gave me the $1,000 loan to get started. So I had this whole plan in my head, and I thought I'd be nothing without him. Uh, And so I turned to the people around me, my seven salespeople, and asked them for a lot of help. Like, how do we make a go of this damn thing? I don't know how we're going to do it. Let's make a go of it. And those people became my best advocates. They became as good as a a financial business partner. Uh, They gave me their heart and soul and their effort. And so I think when I realized I could ask for so little and get so much back, I started realizing I was nothing without a team. And the very essence of building a great team is to lean on people and they have to feel leaned on. And the only way to do it is by asking for help. And I got good at asking.
1: That's really, really good. good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you, you're right, you have to lean on people for, for you to show that you're vulnerable. Yes. And then they start creating a deeper sense of, you know what? Mm. There's a relationship here. Mm. That's so that's so true. I actually hadn't thought of it until you posed it that way. So would you say you built that whole structure of your initial team when you started growing on vulnerability? Kind of like what Brené Brown says, right? That that be vulnerable, right? And then you connect deeper. Is that what you would say it started with? Um, I would say partially
0: true. (laughs) I don't think I was so secure then in my 20s to be that vulnerable. I would ask Mm -hmm. for help and then realize the benefit that that builds great teams. But I also felt an enormous obligation uh, to be who I wanted them to be. So I had uh, tremendous pressure on me to look strong in tough times. Uh, So that's Mm, not so vulnerable. That's like putting a big chin forward, right? And I Mm -hmm. became a great cheerleader in really dire times to get people believing that there was hope just around the bend. And uh, so I became a motivator. And I think motivating people, uh, I'm not sure. I don't know what was more important, the ability to motivate people, which I had to learn early. Or the ability to be vulnerable. I, I, I think it's a nice combination. I think people trust you when you have both. They believe you when you're motivating them because they think you're one of them because you're vulnerable and have weaknesses like them, if that makes sense.
1: That does. So then what would you say then the shift was when you started shifting more away from being like a manager to more of a coach? Because now that you're saying you're more of a motivator, right? I think that has a lot to do with with you also progressing and watching the team grow and say, I think they need me more over here versus over here. Did that mean you have to bring in, you, you eventually had to bring in more staff to say, okay, you're going to be the manager. I'm going to be more of the coach. Is that how it happened? Or did it happen more gradually?
0: No, not not like that at all. Not my style. Okay. I think uh, what I became in very short order, because I think it was the The call of the day and it accommodated what I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. I -hmm. instead thought that I consciously made a decision to be a phenomenal leader, a leader like a great mom who's going to tell the kids uh, what she wants to do and why it's going to be good for them if they wanted to come play. And so I think I, I, I role modeled what leadership looked like. And as a result of that, I developed leadership within the company. I don't even think mm. I ever really thought of the word coach, honestly, that I'm a coach of someone. I was in charge. I mean, and I like authority, not that I was a dictator, but very much I felt like my job was to lead the team. Uh, to greatness, as they put whatever that book is, lead the team to greatness. And I believed Mm -hmm. in that mission because I thought it was the only way I would really get to where I wanted to go, which is I wanted to be the queen of New York real estate. My dream was to be the number one company in New York City. And that's what I was hyper-focused on for the 30 years I built my business. I wanted to be that person. And um, everybody believed me, and they wanted to be that person with me because I think I got them believing that it was good for them and good for me and good for us, and we'd have a blast getting there.
1: Has, has the way you lead changed over the last few years? Because I'm assuming from the way you were in your 20s, obviously, but just in the last few years, anything that you say has, has changed in the way you're you're moving people or maybe encouraging others?
0: Well, it's vastly different when you own your business and you're building it and you're in charge. Than when you're an investor, as I am on Shark Tank, where I'm buying minority interest in businesses, I'm not in charge. Thankfully, if I have a great entrepreneur (laughs) who's a partner, he or she's in charge. Uh, So that's a whole different role I've taken on. So I guess you might say now I'm a coach or an advisor. Um, But my attitude is, let me tell you what I would do in this situation. Boom. I always know exactly what I would do if it were my company. That's what I would do. But you guys figure out what you want to do. Whatever you think in your gut is the right thing to do, feel free to ignore my advice. Do what you want to do. Because you know what I've learned, Tristan, that great entrepreneurs really don't listen to anybody. I mean, it's a misnomer that they pick up all this information from everybody and try to make it as part of their business. I don't find that to be the case. I find my best entrepreneurs Listen to me and then do exactly what they please. That's how they are. And that's a good sign. <laughs> and when I have a meeting with a new business I've invested in, and they're taking notes on what I'm saying on a legal pad, and they're asking me to repeat something, I know I'm going to lose my money. If they're that attentive as to the, I have the formula, how they're going to succeed, they don't ever become successful entrepreneurs in the long run. But when I have that arrogance and entrepreneur, they'll listen, but already they think of mind, will." That's not what I'm going to do. I know <laughs> I've got myself a winner. And I'm going to make a lot of money.
1: It's a certain That's MO in the
0: individual. Yeah. Mm,
1: all right. It's kind of like more of a gut feeling, like saying, yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. I may use part of it, but I'm probably going to do it differently. Yes. Very interesting. All right. So what's... You're like what a professor,
0: your- Tristan, the way you analyze things. You are really like a real, live, living, breathing professor. You're so analytical. Yeah
1: thanks barbara i don't know if that's a good thing it or a, is a bad good thing. thing. you must
0: have a super high iq
1: um possibly i possibly. think so Thank you. i
0: think so thanks
1: thanks barbara appreciate you you're making me you're making me red like the wall behind you now, so. <laughs> it's okay so what would you what would you say the definition of of success is in general now that you've You've become this coach, advisor, and gone through all these different positions in your life. What does that look like to you when you define it?
0: Well, it really hasn't changed much. I think I'm more acutely aware as I get older and run out of time. I think success is how happy you are. Greatest measurement of success. Just how happy are you? Any given day you wake up in the morning before you go to bed at night on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you? If you're running an average of eight, nine all the time, have a bad day here or there, you're successful. I don't care what you do, how much money you make, how much money you don't make, how many hits you took, how many successes you had, like literally within that day. I think if you're happy, you're successful. Isn't that what everybody wants to be? They might not know what you, the pieces are, but they want to be happy. So
1: that's uh, well, how, how I you measure. Find, yeah. I agree with you 100%. That's it. But why do you find so many people then... Happiness is so elusive. Is it because they don't understand what happiness truly is anymore? Or why do you think that is?
0: No, I think people know when they're happy and they anyone and anyone knows when they're unhappy and they know when they're in between. I think the difference uh, between the people who have it as something elusive and those people who are able to capture happiness Mm -hmm. is uh, they take the action that's needed the willingness to either the work the 18 hours that's going to spell happiness, uh, the willingness to make a hard choice that's going to scare the shit out of them that they don't know how they're going to actually pull it out, uh, the bravery to tell somebody what they think when they're too afraid to say because they need to change a situation, um, the courage to leave a bad situation or bad friends or a bad relationship when they know they should, but they just can't somehow find the faith to do it. I think um, it's courage and action uh, that can convert someone who, from being unhappy to happy, because I don't think you can just will happiness. I think it takes action. I think it takes effort, action, dedication, and consistency uh, to get the life you want to be happy. I don't think there's a magic little thing that you take, you know, at all. I think it's a, it's a, it's a journey and you have to be willing to work at that uh, tremendously. And then before you know it, son of a gun, you're feeling good about yourself. Why? You might not even accomplish what you want, but you feel good about yourself because you're doing what you should be doing. You're you're doing what you should be doing to make a better life for yourself. And that's going to lift up your happiness right away, you know. I I do believe it's about action to create happiness. And people do know when they're happy and when they're not, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting on the action part. And I find that a lot of people, they – Finally, decide to take action when they hit the bottom, right? Like they have no other options, right? What What has your experience been with that? Either, either looking into other entrepreneurs' lives or or with yours when you hit rock bottom, what happens then?
0: Well, honestly, if I have an entrepreneur that's hitting rock bottom, uh, it's usually code for out of business. You <laughs> know, so. Coming back off the bottom is not an option. Uh, when you were saying come off the bottom, I was thinking of alcoholism, uh, all different mm. kinds of addiction, uh, manic Got depressant, it. you know, off on medication. You know, I, I've, I've worked with known many people who have those enormous life struggles that uh, in those situations, hitting the bottom is your best friend, because usually that's when the change starts to happen. But Got I don't it. think it applies to business. No, I wish it did. Because then I'd have a lot more successful businesses <laughs> that bounced off the bottom, but instead I have a lot of failed businesses that <laughs> fell to the bottom and never came back up.
1: <laughs> That's terrible. Well, why do you think they they fail besides inaction? Do you find that there are certain commonalities with Always. with entrepreneurs that fit? what what is that?
0: Um, number one, of course, they have to be. Uh, work their ass off. I don't know anyone who's built anything worthwhile. doesn't have to be in business in anything, even parenting who hasn't worked their asses off. I mean, that's just a given. You work three times harder than somebody else, you're going to get better results. I don't care what you're working at, okay? Number one. Uh, Secondly, I think it's the ability to deal with uh, the obstacles along the way, the things that, the walls that you run into, the people that insult you, the trips, uh, the trip wires that trip you up, um, the running out of the cash, the guy leaving your business who you thought was loyal and now you're left high and dry, the mm-hmm. partner that walks out or the guy who steals from you. I mean, you name it, there are five million things that go wrong when you're building a business. But I think mm-hmm. it's it's only detail. I think it's all on how the entrepreneur responds to it and gets back up and keeps going. So yes. I really believe that ability to get back up is the uh, after hard work is the second most dominant trait uh, that you must have. Uh, if you're going to be successful in business, per se. And I think it really is the same trait if you're going to be successful in life. The sad people I know are people who aren't good at adjusting to change and getting up. And the happy people I know somehow have had the worst turns in their life, but they're happy. How does that happen? They're just much better at dealing with change and getting back up.
1: Mm. Barbara, do you think that, that can be learned, that resilience that you're talking about through through a continual experience?
0: Absolutely. Without a doubt, I'm the walking, talking example of it. Uh, So many of the very successful people I know have taught themselves how to get back up. And it is teaching a habit. I mean, it's not about when something's really bad. I'm going to get up this time. I'll show them. No, it's a matter no matter Mm -hmm. what happens. You get back up and you try something else like it's like it's not an option. That's the way you shake. You know, that's the way you live. You get smashed, you're jacking the box, and you get back up, hit me again, boom, hit me again like a fool. But I know I'm making fun of it, but but I'm not really because I really believe it's it's that way. It's the ability to not feel sorry for yourself, suck other people into your pity party, um, uh, use somebody else as an excuse, blame, blame, blame the fault on somebody else. Let me tell you a perfect mm. example. After I after I close on my Shark Tank businesses, my favorite part is about six to nine months out. After they've had the success of Shark Tank, the sales are going through the roof. They're popular; everybody loves them. Something inevitably big always goes wrong. I can't Mm -hmm. wait to see the go wrong period. Like the supplier never sent the sweatshirts, or the the it was a faulty manufacturing, or. Whatever goes wrong, something goes wrong. And I just say, what What happened? And I don't say a word, I just listen. Because you know what I'm listening for? I'm listening to the entrepreneur, how they handle it, because it's my harbinger of what I bought into. It's right there, right in front of me. Mm. And you know what? Most people, I would say three out of four of entrepreneurs that I've chosen very carefully, will blame it on somebody else. He promised me, I swear to God, that guy, the minute that finger goes left or right, I know I'm going to lose my money. Because this is an individual who hasn't formed a habit of taking responsibility for failure and bouncing back up. When I hear them say, well, the, the, the great entrepreneurs, they'll say something like, son of a gun, I never saw that going. But you know what we're going to do? You know what we think it might they work? They take full It's like, boom, boom, they're up. Yep. And that's somebody that grows a great business that I'm so proud of because of the nature of that individual who knows how to succeed because they're in the habit of just getting right back up, getting right. And that's a habit you can learn but you can't learn it unless you practice it every day of your life. You just and then after a while you realize that's how you roll. That's that's who you are. And you're well prepared for success then. You don't have to think mm. about it anymore. It's kind of the way you the way you breathe, you know.
1: I was going to ask you, you know, how do you handle disappointment, but you kind of just answered it. You get used to it. Yeah, and then you handle it better. <laughs> so you answered that without me asking. Good, good, double, double yeah, there. Uh, double there. So I love that. How do you, at this point in, in your life, going through so many different things, how how do you maintain just confidence overall? Because I find that that's one thing that that's lacking sometimes with people. They're like, should I, shouldn't I, and then inaction happens, right? How think, do you maintain the confidence?
0: You know, I, you know, it's really confidence and decision-making are hand-in-hand. Hand. It's part and parcel of the same thing. I think bad decisions are fine. And I've seen so many people have tremendous success with making misjudgments. Uh, I don't think that ever puts a good man down, so to speak. I think mm-hmm. uh, inability to make a decision, to not decide and let too much time go by, winds up being no decision in the end most instances rarely do you make it better later than you could in the moment and so i find that people who can't make decisions i'll put down and they never get ahead i'd rather Mm. have a partner or friend or in myself make three bad decisions at least i could get up and say i tried it and feel good about myself you know it's not going to kill you a bad decision and i often say to myself what's the worst that could happen am i going to be dead no i'm not going to be dead So, okay, could I accept the consequences? Sure, let me give it a whirl. But the indecision are the least happy people in life because they never wind up grabbing the ring or reaching for what they really wanted because they're thinking about it. And I also fault our education system a lot for um, uh, idolizing left brain logic. You know, I don't think a lot of our best decisions have anything to do with left brain and logic. I think they have a lot more to do with the heart and your gut. And uh, yeah. we've been kind of taught that maybe that's not the smarter or the higher road, which I think it's the main road where you make your good decisions.
1: Yeah, because that's where your passion is. I totally agree with you. As you were saying this, I'm writing, I'm taking notes because you hit on something and I'm, I'm just rewording exactly what you said. So this is you. It says, decision making creates confidence by knowing that mistakes allow you to grow. Oh, you and, made it.
0: You made it trimmed it up nice. Yeah, you but made come me on. Sound that's a lot
1: smarter with your IQ than I delivered just. A that sexiness came from you, Barbara. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like the way I like the clothes you put on that. <laughs> You're funny. Look, that's I hadn't thought about it like that because growing confidence is actually the pra- practicing and decision making. And a lot of us a lot of us just don't practice decision-making. And it's also practicing and
0: failing. Don't forget the tail end of that, which is the yeah. part. With the wrong decisions comes failure. And we're also afraid of failure. But I think your confidence comes by being okay with you making the mm. wrong decision and failing. And knowing that's the next one. You'll get right on to the new decision. If you've had a last one really fast, there's another one. <laughs> yeah. Rather than letting so, time grow, grow under your feet.
1: Right. You're right on that. So how do you feel about, about the current culture we're in and and failure? Because I feel like some people are scared to fail in the current culture we're in.
0: Everybody's and afraid to fail. Why wouldn't you be?
1: I'm afraid I, to well, fail. I'm afraid to fail too, Barbara. But I think I'm seeing a lot more people just be scared of maybe saying the wrong thing or oh, oh, maybe that you doing mean. The wrong thing, and then being being canceled because of just difference in opinion, and I, I'm I think part of the culture is is changing, and I don't I don't know how you feel about that overall. Just what it's your a opinion tremendous, is. It's
0: a tremendous loss, and you know what I think <clears throat> the loss that we all share with this new kind of culture is uh, it it eliminates honesty. It's very hard to have an honest conversation when you're watching for landmines and and trying to understand where the moving fences are. Um, And as a result of that, it eliminates uh, shared confidences. It eliminates a lot of the humor that in most workplaces is is the uh, glue that binds people, the humor, the joking. Uh, It encourages people to be solo (laughs) more, to be careful what they say and stay on their own. And that's a shame because all the joy in living and working and anything you do always involves other people and honesty and camaraderie and jousting a bit. Or for me, it has. Those are my favorite times when you're laughing your ass off. Now, now today I would have to say laughing my ass off. It. I hope nobody's expense. But I have to analyze that before I make that joke. You know, so you lose you lose a heck of a lot. I hope it swings the other way uh, because I think many people are tired of it, but. Uh, You know, naysayers have always in life more weight than uh, positive people. You know, one negative comment sinks uh, disastrously five great compliments, I think, you know. So I'm not sure it's going to go away. I'm struggling with that. I'm adjusting, trying my best. Uh, I might have to become a hermit just to make sure I don't make any mistakes, (laughs) you know. (laughs)
1: Oh well, I'm sure if you become a hermit, um, we'll have access to you anyway. So it'll be great. <laughs> All right. So tell me your feeling on on just work life balance overall. What's your first thought when it comes to just work life balance?
0: I, you know, I just don't believe in it. You know, it's a nice theory, I guess. It's. I think it's a theory. I. I don't operate like that. I work my my buns off. I should stop saying ass. I promised my mother never to say it. Okay. I work my buns off uh, and I do whatever work is needed to accomplish what I want to accomplish, what I'm dreaming about, what my goals are, how I want to do it. And then if uh, there's very little left over time, but I don't want to be a workaholic and be that proverbial person on my deathbed, you know, I wish I had more time at the office. So what I do to offset it, my version of it, I guess I wouldn't even call it work-life balance. But I plan ahead for my fun. I have my vacations and my book in advance. I have my fun days where I take a day off, Monday preferably. It's the sweetest day to not show up at work because you know everybody's working. (laughs) I have my girlfriend get-togethers. I have my sister reunions. I have five sisters. I have – I'm the party planner for my kids' parties – but I always have it in my book in advance, or so I would never get around to it. Because with my work schedule, I would just be working 24-7 because I love my work. So I failed to realize something's missing. Uh, but there is something missing if you don't have pure, unadulterated fun and bring people close to you and share life with people. So I do it mm. by pre-scheduling uh, the fun times. And so I don't think you call that balance, but at least I found a way to get in, in as an important piece of my life in a very hectic, uh, heavily worked world that I live in.
1: Mm, mm, that, that's key. It, it reminds me of one person we interviewed a while back, and they said it's more like a harmony. Ooh, right? like the sound. And, that. and I liked it. I was like, you know, that makes more sense than what we hear than balance, because there is no balance. But you make everything work together with what you've got. And that's what you just said. And at the core of that are the people because the people is key. You're so right. I didn't, I didn't analyze that before. So thank you for that question about businesses in general. If you were to, if you were to start a brand new business that that's in your wheelhouse, passionate, everything, what would be the first, first one, two, or three hires you make to be able to scale it correctly? Who would those people be? be position wise.
0: I would hire my opposite. Uh, I don't care what business it is. If I'm a creative, I'm ins- like I know what I'm good at. I'm good at creativity. I'm great at sales, I'm great at marketing, I'm great at recruiting. Those are all the outside kind of personalities. I'm good at press. You know, all that outgoing kind of stuff come natural naturally to me like breathing. I love it. I could do it all day long and never get tired of it. But have me organize systems, uh, worry about the finance of a of venture. Um, accountability, uh, legal. I hate it all. If you want (laughs) to punish me and send me to hell and keep me there, give me those responsibilities. (laughs) So I think in any business you start, I think what you have to do, your first hire should be your opposite. Make a list of what you're good at, what you are not good at, and go out hunting for somebody uh, who could do the things really well, naturally well that you're not so good at. Then you've got a perfect combination. Every business that I have at Shark Tank, with one exception, is a partnership. I don't intend it that way, but it just happens to be the ones I've invested in. And every one of those partnerships, the ones that are doing so well, they're opposite people. Uh, when I built the corporate room, my partner was Esther Kaplan. She was opposite to me. Couldn't be more opposite. I could have never built that business without her. She could have never built it without me. And so I don't think it's uh, a particular talent or position you should look for. It's, it's really shopping for strength.
1: That's awesome. I love that. Great response. Very, very good response. All right. So let's dig in a little bit deeper in, into the people that, that you look up to. What type of people do you find you typically look up to? People with
0: a sense of humor. Let me tell you something. I don't start a relationship with anyone, anywhere, in anything Unless someone has a sense of humor. Because, you know, if they don't have a sense of humor, two things happen. You're not going to get the joy of getting there with them, which is sometimes all you do is do the getting there. Sometimes you don't always arrive. And you also uh, don't have a person open to change. People who have a sense of humor are pretty, pretty easygoing, I find. They come with a lot of other traits. Like they know how to rock and roll. <laughs> They're up for a good yeah. time. They'll keep life in proportion. And they'll keep you on the straight and narrow when you're out of whack. And so, so that, true. I think, is the number one trait. And, mm. and your actual question was, what did I answer it? You, what was your question? Yeah, I think that, I got a little That's off.
1: half of it. No, that was good. That's half of it. The other one is, who who do you look up to right now that has those qualities there? Like, you know, that's, a, that's an awesome person. I like him or her. I would say anyone I surround myself with, I really pretty much adore. I'm not
0: trying to say I love everybody equal. That's not true. But I can't single out anyone. Uh, because I always surround myself with those type of people. I want a happy life, and I don't want energy suckers around me, and I don't want negative people who are going to see the, de- the dark and everything uh, because I don't believe I'm coming back for a second life, and I really uh, I really want my best shot at being happy. And your environment has as much to do with your happiness as what's going on inside, you- inside your head and your soul. Uh, you're very much influenced. I am particularly influenced by my environment. Put me with smart, happy, energized people. It's lovely. Put me with an energy sucker. I spot them a mile away. I'm like, <laughs> off with their head. I'll never go. And you know what a great test on new friendship is? Because I'm very good at making friends. There's no replacement for an old friend who knew you when. But I'm very good at making old friends. And I have a little litmus test that I do. I'll, I'll talk to them. Like, wow, I could tell they really wanted to be my friend. They're so nice. They're so smart. They're so such and such. But then Mm -hmm. I'm with them two, three hours for dinner, and then they leave, and I'm acutely aware of how I feel right after they they leave. And I even have either a pop-up like, "Ah, wasn't that fun? Or I feel like a little, like a relief. Even though I thought I was enjoying them, I'm like, okay, now, okay, that's done. And when I feel that little relief, I never see them again. I know that seems harsh, but I never see them again because I realize that's really a true test. Uh, people leave a little puddle behind them. Is it a happy puddle or is it a you know, a sad puddle? You know.
1: <laughs> oh, when you said puddle, I thought of dog piss. So oh, just, of course you I'm would. Just, I'm just saying that was. Good. I didn't think of
0: that. <laughs>
1: that was really good. That's an awesome analogy, by the way, Barbara. I love that. Uh, all right, so you, you're talking about environment. What what encompasses? your environment? Is it just the people or what else? Because that I I feel is so important for people, but they overlook it.
0: Mm. Well, you know, I don't believe everyone's so affected by their environment (laughs) beyond people, honestly. Uh, For example, I'm married to a man. Uh, He grew up in a privileged family. I could put him in a tent uh, with torn sides and the guy would never complain. If my home isn't perfect, I'm a son of a bitch. I like a beautiful (laughs) home. I like the beautiful setting, the colors I like. I look and I adore and I feel like I'm part of my home. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. that way. You know, I suck it all in. I have to have it just right. But I know with my husband, Bill, he doesn't care where he sits. Just give him, pull him up a chair. And he really is that way. Um, So I think for a lot of people, environment is not important. But the one piece of environment I think is important for everybody is who you hang out with. Marry the wrong person, you have a miserable life get unlucky with the horrible kid. You'll have a miserable life. (laughs) You know, you just put a real clunker in the mix and it's really hard to be happy around a miserable person, whatever that person is.
1: It's so cool. You know, as I'm asking you questions, I'm realizing how, how important people are just not, not just for you, but just in general, because you, you keep on gravitating to that quality of people. Right. And that's, I think that's important for people listening in. I think we should pay more attention to those people around us in our personal lives and in our business. So remember, that, that's one theme that I love. I love that.
0: Also, you've never met a, a, a happy hermit, I bet.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if you go hermit, who knows, right? <laughs> I'm the last person who would. <laughs> I would
0: be so miserable without people.
1: Oh, I love it. All right, so what do you think is happening with the whole real estate world where you have Zillow, Redfin, and all these other companies that want to take a piece of the industry? Is that going to succeed long-term? I'm just throwing at you at left field, but tell me, what what are your thoughts?
0: Of course it will succeed long-term. Uh, first of all, most of those giant conglomerates, which are the technology backbone of how people shop today, are owned by the same people. I don't know if you know that. It's a conglomerate, Okay. So do they control the eyeballs or the first look and see and curb appeal of an individual house? Yes. Do they control uh, which houses you get to see when you're doing a search in what order? Yes. Um, do people need their services or could they rely on local brokers to shop their local markets and look at their individual websites? People can. And brokerage firms have good websites, but they're not being used. Everyone goes to the easiest shop. So, the uh the big conglomerates are uh are the warehouses of real estate today, and the easiest way to shop. So there's no way they'll go away, or no way they won't find uh themselves stronger by the year. And of course they have to monetize, and the easiest way to monetize it is to take a slice of that very juicy apple called commissions. And mm. uh and they you know, they, they deliver them in all different ways, but basically that's what it is. They're taking a slice of the apple. But you know, I don't think most brokers, individual brokerage firms, I've been out of their business now 20 years already, but I remember then it hasn't changed much. They feel these people are a threat. What well, This is my territory. How dare they control what... Oh, blah, 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 blah. But they lost the control of the individual brokers. They lost the control 15 years ago, 15, maybe even 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. They ain't getting it back. And uh, so that's the way the world turns right now. That's how it's... And it's good for the consumer. The consumer can see everything out there, equal footing, but any loss of control by any industry uh, is always painful. And the brokerage firms have lost control of the industry because of these Mm -hmm. large aggregate companies that bring all the listings together and control the eyeballs of the consumer.
1: They're not going away. I I think it's your
0: question. Are they going away?
1: Yep. No, you got it. So then real estate, right now in the world that we're in, are you... Currently investing in real estate, you I do. stay out of that?
0: No, I do. How does that
1: look? What do you look for typically?
0: Uh, it depends. You know, I love real estate. Um, I'm a pretty simple shopper. Uh, I analyze property probably a little differently than someone else would. I like to try to analyze what's up and coming because what's up mm. and coming always makes the most money in the end. You ride the market up. Even if you do everything wrong, you're going to make money. <laughs> If, yeah, if that property is doubly going up 20% a year because it's been discovered by the yuppies and they're moving the baby carriages and moving out, uh, you know, uh, whoever lived there before, that, that thing is going through the roof and you're going to get it right up. Okay. So I like to choose up and coming areas. My, not secret, but a methodology uh, I always use is I pay very much attention to where the creative community is recently moving. Uh, The waiter, who really wants to be a dancer. Uh, The waitress, who really wants to work for the Museum of Modern Art. But meanwhile, they're waitressing, and they have to find really cheap quarters and have two roommates to share the rent with. And I always ask the question, so where are you living? And that's how I discovered every up-and-coming area through Brooklyn, Brooklyn, certainly early, and took me outside of Manhattan, which is what I knew. I didn't know Brooklyn. And thank God I was into Brooklyn, these areas, very early, and just rode that wave up. So I like to discover up-and-coming as the easiest way to make money. In terms of choosing a property, believe it or not, I don't choose it based on rent, roll, and returns, and I don't even know if I could know those numbers. I choose it on what the street looks like. If old ladies are sitting on benches, they're not afraid to be mugged anymore. Um, if uh, if there's flower pots on some of the windows, if people are leaving a, you know, a carriage outside, they're not afraid of it being stolen anymore. I can see bellwether changes, you know? And that's another good sign that this area is about to flip, okay? And uh, that's how I analyze it. And that's how I analyze it. Recently, I've taken a lot of money and put it outside of New York City as well, um, an area that um, I really like right now because it's, it's like Brooklyn, but it's a city up and coming. The whole darn city is that way. Is Pittsburgh. Yeah. The money to be made in Pittsburgh is tremendous, and the appreciation is enormous. Uh and again, you could almost make wrong decisions and and do really well there, you know, because it's a it's a it's a rebirth going on in that city with a friendly government and great property values. And uh, and probably the most educated uh tenants in the entire world, uh really coming to Pittsburgh because all the technology firms that have moved there. And the hospitals, the medical, they, it just has a lot. So I'm a big believer in that city. Beyond that, I'm sure there's another five things I should be investing in. But I don't have that much money. Uh, so, I try to, <laughs> so I try to focus on a few at a time.
1: Are you are you invested at all in Bitcoin, in that whole uh, No,
0: thing? sir. And I'm pro- perhaps a fool, but I've always learned I don't invest in what I don't understand. And I've listened. I've learned. I get it, sort of. But somehow it doesn't pass by a common sense test so i'm sure i'm going to miss a big thing but i do know real estate and that i trust and something about standing on of yeah. investment i really like like seeing that it's real earth you know yeah
1: very true very true all right last question for you are you on tiktok i love tiktok shame on you <laughs> that you don't know that I was, I, I I do know I'm following you. Oh, you do. You. You're being a jokester. <laughs> I'm just being, I yeah, love you on TikTok. Everyone loves you on TikTok. Yeah, way, you could yeah, do
0: you're anything are not following you want. her,
1: <laughs> follow Barbara on TikTok. It is awesome. She makes me laugh there. You can learn too. So great job on, on jumping on the platforms, by the way, Barbara. I Thank love seeing it. that. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's great having you. Where do people, where do you want people to follow you besides your podcast?
0: Yeah, on the podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, we're up there. Business Unusual. Make sure you dial in 888 we'll Barbara. <laughs> Give me your questions because that that is the backbone of my phenomenal podcast. And so without the questions, I wouldn't have a great podcast.
1: That's good. I might throw in one there today. I'm not
0: answering your question. So what do you think about that?
1: (laughs) You know what, I'm I'm gonna gonna try anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Disguise your name, say, Harry's on the line. Uh, (laughs) I'm gonna
1: go with, uh, my name's Juliet, so we're gonna go with that.
0: Oh, Pretty, you look like that.
1: (laughs) Thank you, you like my hair? (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, we started there.
1: (laughs) All right, Barbara, thank you so much, I appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much,
1: Tristan. Those
0: are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.